Sing with me. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Father, we thank you ultimately for our moms. We thank you for bigger promises than our problems. We thank you for bigger solutions. We thank you that you will return soon and there will be a, an end to death, sorrow, crying, and pain. We thank you for our families. We ask that the Spirit is here and that the love of Christ shines through your people. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. In the summer of 2011, we had just hired our executive pastor and our children's pastor. So there were five pastors at Arlington. Me, the youth pastor, we had our young adult pastor, our executive pastor, children's pastor, and our lead pastor, our senior pastor. And every other week, we would meet for specifically a staff meeting, but we, we, every other week we'd meet for a staff meeting, but we would have a, every week we would have a pastor's meeting. The five of us would meet. And we'd pray for each other. We would uh, talk about our ministries. But in the summer of 2011, my senior pastor said, I am really struggling. See, that year he had turned or was turning 43. And that was the year, at 43 years of age, that his biological father died. And there was a tendency within his biological family, he was adopted when he was a, was a kid, there was a tendency to die early within his family. And so he stopped showing up at the office. And you could see that something was weighing on him. And finally, he was going to address it. Because he said, I've been addressing this a little too long. I mean, I haven't been addressing it. I've been going to the doctor, but you guys don't know it. But I'm holding this in and I need to let it out. I'm really worried. I'm worried this is the end of my life. And for you who have not felt that kind of gravity of that worry, we say, oh, you know, don't worry about it. Easier said than done. He struggled for the next year and a half through this, through medication, through psychiatry, to get through worry. And actually, he went through a process with the church there so that they would know, I am struggling with worry. Anxiety has gripped me because, and he told them the whole thing, the story of his biological father dying so early, his family dying so early, 
I feel like I'm going to die early. Praise the Lord, he's still alive. He's still the senior pastor of that church. But how worry had almost frozen him to do any ministry for about a good year. It was hard enough when he talks about it, it was hard enough for him just to get up front to, pre- to preach a message. There is a story that I, that I actually read, and it, this reminds me of it, in a book called Worry the Silent Killer by James Gray. And the story goes, and you might know this story, that death personified was going into a city. But one of the residents of that city stops him and said, what are you doing here, death? He says, well, I'm about to take 100 lives in this city. Well, this good citizen said, ah, I need to warn the people. So he runs back to the city ahead of death. Hey, everybody, death is coming. He's going to claim 100 people. Death is coming, death is coming, death is coming. The next morning, this good citizen opens the paper. And it says, Yesterday, a thousand people died. So stricken, he said, I, I did nothing for this. And he goes out and he, he just to spend time alone and he runs into death. He says, Death, you lied to me. You lied to me. You said you were only going to take a hundred lives. He said, I didn't lie. I only took a hundred lives. Worry took the rest. Do you know this next book here? It's just called Worry. By the way, if you look at any library car, uh, catalog, I was going to say card catalog. Ay, 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 where you bring them out and you, you know? How long ago is that? If you look at any library catalog, any kind of book, if you Google, all right? If you Google books about worry, there are a million and a half. There are tons. Now, this guy, Edward, this physician, Edward Hallowell, he claims in his studies that about one out of four Americans, one out of four, count that, one out of four, he believes are dealing with some kind of worry or anxiety disorder. One out of four. That's 65 million people, people. That's a lot of people. And it's gone so far that it doesn't just affect adults. I read this to the kids yesterday in chapel. This book is called Little Worm, A Story About Worry. I was reading some stuff about kids and worry that there is this great movement of uh, this. They're finding cases of more and more kids that are being more and more worried about things that they probably shouldn't. This story, if you don't know about Little Worm, is Little Worm was going to go run a mile. But it started to rain, and he got worried and sad, and he started to shake and sweat. But then he said, he remembered his, his tactics, how to get out, out of this, and he takes some deep breaths, and, and eventually 
He says, you know what? I can't do anything about the weather. It's not quite what I wanted, but I can't do anything about the weather. And that day, little worm runs a mile with no legs. <laughs> there are tons of children's about worry. How sad is that? I don't know if any of you have ever read this book, The Little Prince. How many of you have read this book? Yay, I'm glad. I read this for the first time as a young adult in Korea. It was 1998, so 20 years ago. I'm sitting there, and, I, and I, before I go to the island where I was stationed, uh, stationed as a missionary, there, I went to a bookstore, which there's, little, there's less of those now. I go to a bookstore, and I find this book, and I said, oh, it looks interesting. This cartoon is about my, my level of thinking. The book is brilliant. And there is a chapter in here about a man. So, so if you don't know the story of the little prince, he goes from island, I mean island, from planet to planet. He lives on his own little planet where there's a rose that he really cares about, but he wants to go explore. He goes planet to planet to planet to find about people. There's got to be other beings out there. And he goes, and there's one planet that he lands on where there's a guy who's only concerned about money. He's counting, counting. And sir, sir, Oh, 3,681. And, and finally, he breaks through because the, the guy knows this, guy, this little kid's going to pester me until I die. Okay, what do you need, kid? He said, what are you counting? Matters of consequence. It doesn't matter to you. He said, but what are you counting? He won't answer. Finally, okay, what are you counting? And he says, I'm counting stars. Why are you counting stars? Because I own them. I'm counting the stars I own. He said, well, why are you so concerned about it? Because I need to buy things. Well, what do you need to buy? More stars. How do you know you own the stars? Nobody else owns them, do they? Then I own them. I claim that I own them. It's a really ridiculous. But, but the point is, he's saying the things that we worry about sometimes as grown-ups, if you read the story, that we worry about constantly is not really of consequence. I love the story because he says when, we, when, when a parent asks about a kid's friend a lot of times, they don't ask what, what, what color is their favorite color or what kind of flower do they like or what, what's their favorite food. They ask, well, who are their parents? What's the, their parents' job? We, we worry about those kinds of things. When he says, to be a kid is just to enjoy life. But even our kids nowadays are not enjoying life. We're worried. We are a society growing of worry. You know, worry... Pretty much, I will say pretty much because there's always an exception. Worry is about the future. Kids, if you, that's in the, I, I'm pretty sure that's in the bulletin. By the way, you need to fill that out if you want a treat from Mr. Merman over there. Worry is about the future. It is about the unknown. 
Even if you, quote, know something is happening in the future, you really don't know it's happening if it's in the future. Does that make sense? I'm going to get fired next week. The boss already said it. God's bigger than that boss. You don't know that. Unless the Lord has promised it himself, you do not know the future. Worry is always about the future. And you know, if you are a worrier, that most of the times we worry greater than the problem itself. Do you agree? Think about all the things you have worried about in life and how much energy it has sapped out of your frail bodies. Not frail. Not Rod. He's not frail. Very muscular. I want to share a couple of worry quotes with you. The first quote is up here. I just wanted to share this because I thought it was a little bit funny. It says, it's by Tom Wilson. I have no who clue who Tom Wilson is. I try not to worry about the future, so I take each day just one anxiety attack at a time. I like that quote. More seriously, though, John Lubbock, a day of worry is more exhausting than a week of work. Can you agree? How about this? The famous Dale Carnegie, how to influence people, word power, all of this. Very famous man. Our fatigue is often caused not by work, but by worry, frustration, and resentment. Corey Tenboom says this worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. You know this. It empties today of its strength. And then Martin Luther. And I love this admonition. It says, pray and let God worry. Pray and let God worry. Those are his problems. You know that? If God is claiming to provide for you, those are his problems now. So all you do is pray and let him worry about it. The context of this, remember, we are in the Sermon on the Mount. I know I keep going over this, but it is one big sermon. And the first thing that Jesus says at the sermon is, happy are those dot, dot, dot. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are the meek. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God wants you to be happy. I heard like three people say that. Come on. God wants you to be happy. Echo, echo. I believe it with all my heart. That's really all God wants for you. Again, the challenge is what makes us happy. We have a different idea of what makes us happy. But all God wants for you is to be healthy, happy. And he tells it in this sermon, and he says, happy are all those things, the poor in spirit, the, the meek, hunger and thirst for righteousness, the peacemakers. And then he says, and if you want to be happy even more, be salt and light and affect people's lives. 
And if you want to be happy even still more, be pure of heart. Don't just, don't just not commit adultery. Guard your hearts also. Inside is important. Because that's where the true happiness comes anyways. Not the outside. You guys know this, right? Men, women, you know that beauty fades, money goes away, all of that stuff. So if those things make you happy, you're in trouble. Yes, you are in trouble. That's why in Hollywood and all those, you know, I need to facelifts, whatever. That does not make us happy. It's proven over and over again. And then right before here, he says, and if you really want to be happy, you pray and you give for the joy of it, not to get recognition. Because there will be a time where you don't get recognition and you will be unhappy. So if you're doing it for recognition, that's your reward. If you're doing it because you want to help people, you're going to be happier than anybody. And then he comes here and he says, and just don't worry about, if you're going to give to people, don't worry about stuff. Don't worry about money. Here's, here's our text right here. Matthew 6, 31 through 34 says this. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. God knows what you need. Now, for people that don't believe or trust in God, I understand why they go after that. They need something to make them happy. God put a desire in our hearts to be happy. I understand why they're seeking those. But guess what? It will fail them. That's 100%. Maybe temporarily they'll be happy. It will fail them. Continued, it says this, but. So, you know, but means sort of this opposite thing. Pagans seek this, but you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well or added to you from King James. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I love that statement. It's so philosophical. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. That will take care of itself. Just worry about today. So what Jesus is not saying, first thing, is don't worry. Is he saying that? Is that what he said? No, he does not say don't worry at all. And I'm going to get to that a little bit later in another text. He is not saying don't worry or don't be, don't take care. Let's put it that way. Because worry, we, we, that's a negative connotation now. Don't prepare, don't take care. He's not saying that. Or he wouldn't have given Joseph the vision. Hey, let's prepare for the future. Then that would be against his character. To do it with somebody and then, oh, wait, wait don't worry about anything. Just don't worry about anything. It doesn't matter if you work or not. It doesn't matter. I, God's going to provide. No, no, no. He's not saying that. What he's saying, though, is take bite-sized chunks. Worry about what's in front of you. 
And we'll get to this a little bit more in the context, but he's saying, don't worry about things, worry about people. It's okay to worry about your kids a little bit. Right, Barbara, you keep talking about how worried you are about the, No, I'm, she's not. She's never said that. I'm just joking. But go ahead. Pray for your kids. God put that within you, a yearning for your kids to be in the kingdom, the yearning for the best for them. It's okay. Worry about how other people's walks are. Don't worry so much about things. Do you know the irony in this whole thing? Is the, th- the things that Jesus, the three questions Jesus says when he says, don't worry, he says, don't worry about these things. What I'll eat, what I'll drink, or what I'll wear. That's what he says in the text. Those are all basic needs. He says, don't even worry about those. Ironically, how many of you really worry about your basic needs? I would, I'm not, uh, I don't know if I would bet on this. Yeah, I'd probably bet on this. That nobody in here is really worried about basic needs. Now, you might say, what dress am I going to wear? But you are not saying, I have absolutely nothing to wear, at least in this country, I, I, it would be, you'd be hard-pressed to find, even with homeless, you'd be hard-pressed to find where somebody has no access to food, drink, clothing. I think he's making a point here. He's saying, I'm saying don't even worry about basic needs, but most of what we worry about is not even basic needs. I'll tell you what I worry about. I worry about my computer. I get so stressed out when something happens. I have a Mac too, you know? It's sort of higher than the rest of the computers, you know? You remember the, remember the, the dream of Joseph where there was one Mac and all the other PCs bowed down to the... It, it's, I know it's in the scriptures. So just sorry. I am just joking, PC people. You're okay too. So the thing is, is whenever this happens, I work myself up. I get worried about things. You know what I also worry about sometimes is when, like, my son isn't feeling too well, and he's been a little bit under the weather these last, I'm already worried he's going to pass it on to me. (laughs) He's going to pass it on to me. It's happened. I know it. I get worried about that. Tell me you've never done that. Come on. (laughs) Teachers, maybe you're immune to it because you're like, it's going to happen no matter what. I worry about those things. We worry about non-basic need things. And God's saying, don't even worry about the basic needs because I got you covered. But I want you to think of this context. Go to the, uh, if your Bible is open, uh, verse 19, because remember, there's a, a, a specific context to why he's leading into this, sort of what we call a segue, not what you ride. 
In verse 19, it says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I want you to skip to verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Ironically, I believe that our society is moving away from trusting God. Because all worry, about, worry is about is, how can I trust that we'll be okay? I'll be okay. It's about trust. So you think about it, and, and I'm not saying it's your fault, my fault. The challenge is our society is building this. How many insurances are there now? Homeowner's insurance. You know, there's car insurance, life insurance, health insurance. All of these insurances that are pulling us, well, if I get sick, will the Lord provide for me? Or an insurance? I'm not saying don't have insurance. Please get me right. We have things like LifeLock. Will the Lord provide if there's identity theft? Or do I need to pay for this? I'll put all the nice locks on my door. Will the Lord protect me or not? Well, wait, locks are not enough. I need a security system. And I need a safe. And I need guns. And, and, and the challenge is, is you can work yourself up to say, I no longer really have my trust in God and, and people will, it, it's hard. I don't think there's an easy answer. But they will work up where they say, well, you just got to take, take care of yourself. God helps those who help, help themselves. I do agree and work and those kinds of things. But does there come a point in time where trust in our earthly powers goes above trust in God? That's not something I want to answer here. You have to answer that. But the challenge is, is we worry and worry and are consumed with this. And so because we need a security system, we have to work a little bit harder to provide for that. Because we need these things, we have to work a little bit harder, and we are being sapped of time and energy because we need to provide for ourselves. When maybe the Lord is saying, there might be a healthy balance here of provision. I'm going to actually take care of the, the heavy lifting here. You just do what you can do to the best. Don't worry about it. You know, when, uh, when I got my first job post-graduate school, when I got my first job as a pastor, they hired me. But I wasn't a theology undergrad. I was a biology undergrad. I never interviewed. I don't know how they got my name. It was Mountain View Conference. They, somehow they got my name, and they said, we would like to open a special 
position for you. We know that you, we've heard that you like young adult ministry where you will work in Morgantown, West Virginia, where West Virginia University is. But here's a challenge. We don't have a full-time position for you. So what you will do, if you accept, is you will work 10 hours a week as a pastor, 40 hours a week as a teacher at a self-supporting school, and your monthly income will be $1,400, no benefits, period. $1,400 a month, no benefits. And you are not on the ordination track. You willing to accept it? Well, I was like, all right, sure. I was pretty laid back by it. Before kids, before family, I can do it. I didn't really know what bills were all about. Sure. Let's do it. So you might think, or one might think, did the Lord provide more money so that I could live? Because Morgantown was actually a little bit expensive being a college town, and it was booming compared to the rest of West Virginia. It's fairly poor, but Morgantown is, is pretty white collar. And so I didn't know how I would be provided for. But one of my church members who used to be a realtor said, hey, there's a house right in, over in Pennsylvania. Let's go look at it. So we go, I mean, 15 minutes away, I bought it for $58,000. That's, that's really cheap. I'm just letting you know. $58,000. My mortgage, including mortgage insurance, because I couldn't put anything down, was everything included was 427 bucks a month. The Lord said, I know you need a place to live. I'll provide it. The Lord provides. Are you willing to trust it? That's the challenge we have specifically probably in this country. Is have we really had to trust the Lord? We have so many good things. We've really trusted him with wants, not needs. Because needs are provided. I mean, they really are. I don't think about, you know, every meal. Like, how am I going to, I might think about, what am I going to eat? You know, but I'm not thinking, how am I going to get that meal? Trust is the heart of this issue. You know, there was a, just talking about trust in bite-sized chunks. There was a time where I was the chaplain and Bible teacher at Campion Academy. And there was a, one of my students, we went to a thing called Senior Survival, and one of my students was, was a, a bigger kid. Uh, he was probably about, he was, he was getting close to six foot, you know, probably about five foot, 10 or 11. And I think he probably weighed somewhere around 280 to 300 pounds. Now, what we do with senior survival is this is a time for us to bond as a group. So one of the greatest activities that we would do is a thing called the trust fall. Now, we are in Colorado, so we don't do regular trust falls where you're just there, you know, or, or from this height. We were in Glacier View uh, Park, and we were National Park, and we went to a rock that was probably, I would say, I would say we were about this high off the ground, where, his, where our feet would be. 
Now, that might not seem too high, but once you get up there and you look down and you're like, I'm going to turn backwards and fall into the, you know, them, it, it is a little bit at first. It's a little bit crazy. Now, a 300-pound young man is supposed to trust his peers, which are, it's a mixture of boys and girls, some, you know, maybe 100 pounds, you know, if they're all wet. And we're going to go like this. I could tell that they were even stressing it a little bit. He was there sweating. I talked with him for 45 minutes. 45 minutes. And I feel like the Lord told me to do this. Have him jump into your arms, but not jump. So I got two feet behind him. I said, I want you to fall back. He fell back. I caught him. It's still a you know, big boy. And I, I, I went back about, you know, half a foot to a foot, and I said, I want you to fall back again. Caught him. This one got a little bit deeper, and I said, okay, fall back again. And he fell back each time, and he was caught each time. I didn't mean I didn't struggle, but he was caught each time. And after 45 minutes... He finally got up, and I got down, and I was going to help them. And he went down. God says it's a lot easier to handle those big things if you take it in bite-sized chunks to trust. And who we're trusting are not kids. We're trusting the Lord. The Lord will catch us with his pinky, with his fingernail. He'll just grow his fingernail a little bit long and, hey, catch you. Boom. It's about trust. We're, we're getting there. Let, let me just say this. There are a couple of challenges that we have here. Problem number one, I'm just going to say quickly, is that our trust, you know, specifically this is about money and wealth, the context here, because he says you can't serve to is that our money and the reason we worry often goes to things we do not need. We will take out credit. You read Dave Ramsey's books. We will take out credit to go on vacation, to buy our toys, to have our phones. A phone that's $1,000? Yikes. We will do that. Problem number one is we're totally, our priorities are screwed up. And we worry we don't have enough money, and we don't have the money because of that. But number two, I think, is, is even a, a more of a deeper issue. Is that, let me say it this way, and I put it up there as the backup plan. I think a lot of us think that if, that we trust God, but if God fails, we have backup plans. We have life insurance, other insurances, security systems, whatever. God fails. We won't say that, but that's what we have. If God, well, God might allow it, somebody to break in my house. No, if God fails. But I don't think that's the major problem. I wonder if the major problem is that God is the backup plan. 
So we trust everything else, and if that doesn't work, okay, God, now it's your turn. Now, I know that might sound like semantics, but I want to I, I say it a different way so that it really clicks because it is very different. If I were picking a wife, if I were picking a wife, I am married, but if I were picking a wife and I said to the girl I'm dating, I love you, I trust you, if this doesn't work, I got a backup plan. Okay, that's a bad thing, right? It's a bad thing. But listen to it this way, the second way. I think it's even worse. Okay, woman I'm dating. Well, no, no, I'm not dating you yet. I am going to date around and try to find somebody good for me. I'm going to just, I'm going to exhaust everything. I'm going to try to date everybody. If worse comes to the worst, you're my backup plan. Is that better? You are the last on my list. I'm going to try everything. I'm going to look so hard for somebody who fills my needs and I can fulfill their needs. But if nothing works out, you're the one. That is what we have made God. And the reason we worry is because we constantly are failed by everything that we trust. Until you seek him and his righteousness. And then all of those things will fall into place. It doesn't mean there won't be sorrows. But it means you know you can trust him. Philippians says this in chapter 4. Do not be anxious about anything. By the way, when it says about anything, I don't think that that literally is talking about anything in the world. Because you remember right later on in that chapter, he says, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. He's not talking about all things. Okay, you got to read the context. He's not saying I could juggle the moon and the sun and the earth when Christ strengthens me. He's not saying that. Don't be ridiculous. If you read, if you read the context, he says... Life was hard, I lived through it. When I had plenty, I lived through it. It's also about provision. So here he's like, don't worry about any of your provisions. God will provide it. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God which transcends all understanding, you will not understand it, will guard your hearts. I want to read a story to end. The story talks of primitive times where there was an intelligent king who was constantly worried about something in his kingdom. And every now and then, uh, for various reasons, he felt helpless within his kingdom. He often behaved, it says, 
as ordinary people who didn't even have the resources that he had. And he would feel, do I have the resources to be a good king? Do, you know, am I providing for my kingdom? And he would just get into this tizzy. As a consequence, he never laughed. Even his ministers who saw him saw that he never laughed, and hence they started never laughing. They wouldn't even smile. One day, one of the well-wishers, the wise men, discreetly thought of ways and means to change his attitude in life. So they made a plan. And next time the, court, the king held his court, he brought his closest minister to him and he said, I'm worried about something. The minister said, of course, your majesty, I know that. And I've been thinking about it. He was taken aback and he said, how do you know that I'm worried about something? And he says, humbly, your majesty, I'm not interested in learning about your problem. I just want to find a solution. The king again was surprised and he says, but you don't even know my problem. How do you know the solution? The minister replied in a respectful tone, your majesty, Quite possibly, you don't have just one, but you have many problems. But to all problems, there is only one solution. On hearing this, he's baffled, mind blown, and he says, may I know what your solution for my problems are? The minister replies, your majesty, please don't worry about the solution because it's absolutely on the dot and it's perfect for you. The king tried to guess what the minister had in mind, and he worried about it, and he says, well, if there is a problem, how can I not worry? And the minister bowed eventually, respectfully, and says, your majesty, till date, till this date, has worry solved any of your problems? And the king said, well, no. Well, then why is it that you worry? The mystery of success doesn't lie in the worries, but the removal of those worries. And it is so, it is also true that your worries lead you to the grave. This is an old story that said your, your worries will lead you to the grave. The joy of life is in the rejoicing and not in the worrying. Your majesty, you are so knowledgeable with your wisdom, you can and will lead us. So then, why do you set up a more vivacious example. Why don't you set up a more vivacious example of yourself in front of us? The king, light bulb, switched on. He realized his ignorance. He also realized the crafty manner of this minister and the well-wishers around him. He learned a simple fact of life. And the first thing he did is start to laugh. He was rather astonished. And as he laughed, they laughed with him. And as the Lord told Moses to tell to Aaron, to tell the people, Yevareka Adonai Vayishmareka, Yaer Adonai Panav Alecha Vichuneka, Yisa Adonai Panav Alecha Vayasem Lecha Shalom, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance toward you and give you peace. Father, take those worries from us. 
May we take them in bite-sized chunks and may we first and foremost seek you and trust you because we know that you are the only one that will not fail. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Guys, I want to remind you, please soon get downstairs so that you can help serve these beautiful women. Happy Sabbath, everybody.